Let us pray. Father, these are such familiar words to most of us. It would be easy to become complacent toward their meaning. Please ignite our hearts and imaginations to the richness of your Sermon on the Mount. I ask that you allow the words that are not of value to the listener's ears to fall away and not be heard and cause the words of value to take root and grow into a better understanding of your intent than my earthly communication could ever accomplish. Please remove the scales from the eyes of our minds and hearts, allowing us to leave here today with a bigger picture of who you are and how you've called us to live out our lives in communion with you and fellow man. In Christ's name, amen. As we start, I'd like to read our scripture today taken from Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Once again... God, in his infinite wisdom, has given me a passage on which to lecture that I have had to, as a man said to me last week, wrestle with for a long time. And once again, I come before you as a fellow journeyer. Please hear me. What I am saying is what I know to be true, but what I still wrestle with daily to live out. So let us wrestle together. When I was about four years old, I asked Santa for a walking doll that I'd seen in the store. She was about my same height, and all you had to do was walk beside her, holding her hand, and with some type of internal spring mechanism, she walked with you. Albeit, she was a bit stiff-legged, but nevertheless, for the day, she was pretty advanced. I thought this doll was beautiful, and a major part of her beauty, in my eyes, was that she had this perfectly straight, golden blonde hair down to her waist. When Christmas morning came, much to my surprise, there was a walking doll under the tree, but she had short, curly, whitish blonde hair, which all added up to my little five-year-old mind looking a lot like my grandmother. (laughs) Although I didn't show my disappointment in front of everyone, 
I later confided in my mom that I was disappointed in Santa. Yeah, just what every parent wants to hear on Christmas Day, right? I told her I was sad because I had actually wanted the walking doll with the long blonde hair and how I had not even ever seen this doll before. To which my mom responded, well, maybe next time you need to be a little more specific so Santa knows exactly what you want. That experience tainted my view of Santa. He wasn't all knowing. After all, didn't he see me thumbing through those pages in the catalogs? Didn't he see me dreaming at the toy store? Didn't he see me when I was sleeping or awake and know when I was naughty or nice? Did I really have to spell out every little detail to him? Now, a footnote, in Santa's defense, through the years I came to realize that Santa really liked short curly hair because it reminded her of what had been popular when she was a girl and what she would have really liked to have herself. So in essence, my Santa was giving me what she thought I would have wanted out of the utmost human love and care. Now, that aside, okay. Over time, I have come to understand this is often the way we approach God in prayer. In our heart of hearts, do we really trust that he's going to get it right this time? Or is he going to give us something that resembles what we asked for, but not completely what we wanted and not completely fulfilling? Do we really trust that we can come to him and he knows us so well that he is going to give us what is most beneficial for us? That he is working all things for our good or do we not come because we fear that we will be rejected, that we will be given a stone, we will be given a serpent? And have we added the pressure of thinking we need to defend God to the world and sometimes take a coward's way out by not asking him boldly for our needs or desires? Because if the answer is no, how will that look to the world? They will not understand a God who doesn't do what he says he will do in Scripture. I mean, doesn't it say, ask and you shall receive? So it's better all the way around to just not go there. Let's stay safe. After all, isn't that what we're here for? To bring glory and honor to him through our answered prayers that we can show off to others? No. Obviously, that's all faulty thinking. And we may not even be consciously thinking it. But isn't it how we live sometimes? In this passage, first of all, these are imperatives. These are not optional. Ask, seek, knock, do. Secondly, they are not meant to be isolated apart from the rest of Scripture. They need to be looked at in the light of who God is. Thirdly, we cannot fulfill verse 12's command without living in verses 7 through 11. 
Christ knows we need to first know the Creator personally and intimately in order to live out the golden rule, which fulfills the law and the prophets. I love how Sinclair Ferguson puts it. We shall never really understand the wonder of His grace until seeking mercy like beggars before a judge. We discover that he wants us to be his sons and daughters. My child, I want you to share in the inheritance of all my riches and blessings. You will be my son, my daughter from now on. Come with me and ask me when you are in need. I went to a conference over a week ago where we participated in a group exercise that by far was the most memorable activity of the conference. They divided the room into three groups, and then within each group, half sat in chairs while the other half stood behind them in a circle. The leader had us think of a phrase we would have liked to hear or did hear that was beneficial to our identity growing up. We then moved around the circle, whispering that phrase in the ear of each person seated, calling them by name. Of course, we switched places, and the ones who'd been seated then traveled around the circle doing the same. Next, the leader handed out cards with various scripture references where God declares who we are in his sight or how he acts on our behalf with a blank for us to insert each person's name as we made our way around the circle again, not only whispering these truths in each person's ear, but calling them by name as we were saying it. For example, Lisa, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Or Karen, you have been bought with a price. Many described how it felt like a weight had been lifted off their shoulders as they heard these truths spoken to them so personally. Why do I bring this up? Because our asking, seeking, knocking, and doing is connected to a wholehearted pursuit of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. A wholehearted understanding of whose we are. There are so many voices competing with truth. Some of the voices of those who've spoken to us in the past, the heresy we've read ourselves, the world telling us untruths, and what our own deceitful hearts have told us for years. There's no doubt that our prayer life will be transformed when we remember the one we are praying to is Abba, Father, who is infinitely kind and good. As Kay said a few weeks ago, this is a common phrase for the day that would never have been used to describe God. An intimate word, a word that Christ not only uses, but encourages his disciples to use and for us to use as well. Abba, Father. Calvin says nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. Or the encouragement from Luther he knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we do not dare to pray. 
That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts, to remove our doubts, and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. If we ask for something beneficial, do we think that we will be given something beneficial in return? Then why do we not ask? Sometimes we struggle with praying because we are more focused on the act of praying than the one to whom we are praying. Communication is one of God's greatest gifts to us, to be able to express our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our failures, our love and adoration. Yet how often do we not use it to communicate with the very author and giver of this gift? It takes a childlike faith, honesty. A year ago, when my niece and her family were moving from the coast of Alabama to New Jersey for her husband's job, her mom called to see how the drive was going and asked if everything was okay. They had the phone on speaker, and before anyone else could answer, the eight-year-old Miles spoke up from the back of the car, yelling to be heard, I'm not okay, BB. I don't want to move to New Jersey and leave you and all my friends in Alabama. I'm really sad. I'm not happy. And I'm kind of mad at Dad right now for moving us. <laughs> we all had a chuckle about Miles' honesty. But then we thought, what a good example to all of us. Miles wanted to get his troubles off his chest and tell someone who would listen exactly how he felt. He didn't have the whole picture, but knew he didn't like what he saw so far, and he was at the mercy of his parents who were driving the car. He knew he could say what he wanted, and it wouldn't affect how his parents felt about him. He knew his parents so well and felt so comfortable with their relationship because they modeled honesty for him. He was confident that they weren't going anywhere and they weren't going to cast him aside or chastise him for being vulnerable about how he perceived the situation. How much more can we be vulnerable with our Heavenly Father who has modeled perfect honesty and perfect care for us? He's not going anywhere. Neither will he cast us aside or chastise us for our vulnerability. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, talks about how anxiety creates openings for prayer. Instead of fighting anxiety, we can use it as a springboard to bending our hearts, our hearts to God. Instead of trying to suppress anxiety, manage it, or smother it with pleasure, we can turn our anxiety toward God. When we do that, we'll discover that we've slipped into continuous praying. Most of the time, anxiety results from wanting to control our present and future, like God. Even though we don't have the wisdom, power, or knowledge of God, instead of trying to play God in our life, we should cling to God in the midst of our chaos, praying continuously, helplessly, and humbly. David captured the connection between a humble heart and a quiet heart in Psalm 131. 
which is noted on the top of your outline. Instead of hunting for the perfect spiritual state to lift you above the chaos, pray in the chaos. We see this pattern in Paul's advice to the Philippians about anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Moments when you are prone to anxiety can become invitations to drift into prayer. When you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. You watch God weave his patterns in the story of your life. And sometimes prayer doesn't come without pain. Oftentimes, it is a purifying of our hearts that happens during prayer. But, oh, how we can trust that the flame will burn the dross, but not us. A reed is bruised, but not broken. We will then be left with gold. God is not a gumball machine where we put in our prayer and out pops an answer. There's purpose in the act of praying, asking, seeking, knocking. We are being changed, transformed, because we must humble ourselves in the asking. Our heart is submitting in an awareness that we cannot do anything of our own accord. And we cannot discuss prayer without addressing what to do when the answers are no or not now. The marriage that wasn't restored. The son or daughter who hasn't returned to the Lord. The spouse who wasn't healed. The baby that was never carried to term. The career that never materialized. The health that is still fragile. I know I am not alone in having no and not yet answered prayers that I am reminded of every day. There are no's that we face every single morning and will for the rest of our lives. And that is when the rubber hits the road, my friend. In the pain of the no, do we believe what we say about God with our lips? Does our heart trust Abba Father? F.B. Meyer says, Do not be surprised if there are placed on your table tasty dishes that threaten to break your teeth and disagree with your digestion. Since God has put them there and he is good, you will find them in the highest degree nutritious. Bitter to the mouth, they will prove to be wholesome and sweet to the digestion. What he withholds is good. What he gives is good. What he substitutes in his answer to our petitions is good. Nay, good is not strong enough. He gives always the best. And I'll close with a story about Augustine. 
His mother prayed that God would not let her son go to Rome because of the persecutions that were happening in the city and all the violence around them. He went away. He, he went anyway. And it was in Italy that he found Christ. When talking about this incident later in his life, he said, What was it, oh my God, that she sought of thee with many tears? Was it not that thou wouldest not let me set sail for Rome? But thou, in thy deep counsels and listening to the hinge or center of her desire, didst disregard the thing which she asked for, that thou mightest do in me that which she was ever asking, the conversion of my soul. There are whys for some no's and waits. We will have answered on this earth in clear ways, as in the story of Augustine. There are others that we will never know the why this side of eternity. A crucial point to remember is that we must avoid making an idol out of the search for the why. To expend precious energy trying to make sense of the why, often disregarding the only one we can trust with the whys, is futile and robs us of the joy to live in the peace that only our Abba Father can give. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I've asked Kelly to lead us in a song that kept echoing in my head as I was working on this lecture, Jesus, I Come. You'll find it attached to the outline. Now, let's sing together. <laughs> 